0: You know, I'm not supposed to be here this week. This is uh, actually uh, Bishop Matt Thomas is supposed to be here, but apparently he had double booked. So at the last minute I got called in, not really at the last minute. So anyhow, that's why I'm here. Um, We are now three days into the new year. So let me ask you a question. How's it going? Great. It's going great. Good, good. No problems, right? I asked, I asked Esther last week when I was here, Esther, so what do you think about the new year? She says it's going to be a good year. Uh, <laughs> uh, kids, kids, you for children's church. It's your time. Oh, OK. you kids don't have to listen to this. Esther told me it's going to be a good year, and I asked her why. I thought maybe she was going to say it goes a leap year. I don't know. She said because it's an even-numbered year. Now, I don't know, but she's old enough to know when a good year is coming. (laughs) Most of us, when we come to a New Year thing, we've got plans. Uh, Maybe they work out, maybe they don't. We've got ideas, we've got thoughts, we've got desires, we have uh, stuff we would like to see happen, and for a lot of us, we have fears. As a matter of fact, I think fear is becoming more and more popular. I, uh, I started uh, thinking about what kind of fears we all have as we enter a new year. Uh, for some of us, uh, we fear uh, losses. Some of us may fear the loss of our health. Some of us may even fear the whole loss of our life, and a lot of us may fear the loss of our resources. Uh, Some of us uh, have been convinced that uh, the whole thing is going to fall apart soon, and if you listen to enough radio and TV, they tell you, you got to go get freeze-dried food that will last 25 years. (laughs) What am I going to do with freeze-dried food that's going to last 25 years? Or better yet, you need to buy gold and silver. Why? Because your money isn't going to be any good anymore. So if you have any money, you've got to do something with it because otherwise you could lose it all. I have had a personal friend from Serbia who told me the day came in Serbia when the government took all the money I had in the bank. The clue there is not to put any money in the bank. See, I, all this is going on in our heads. Does this go on in your head or is it just in my head? And then we have this whole terrorism fear. We, uh, we had this horrible thing that took place in San Bernardino back on, uh, what was it, the 4th of uh, December. And uh, after it happened, I thought, you know, I should, I should write down all the bad things that come across the news. So I, I started, here's my list. I started writing this down. I got down to Christmas Day. And I said, that did it. This is so ridiculous. I'm not going to take any attention to this anymore. Are you okay or is this just me who's vibrating? There you go. Sounds better. Um, I mean, are we filled with all kinds of negative feelings as we approach a new year? Is this going to be a bad year? Is this going to be a struggle in some way? Well, I I want to redirect our thoughts today, kind of refocus us, because I'm pretty well convinced that the stuff that we put in our head is what is lived out in our life. And I want to tell you a story because this is very true in my life. Now, some of you have heard this story, but it's worth repeating today. Ten months after I had an encounter with Jesus Christ, uh, I packed my wife and my two children off and we went 2,000 miles away from our home in the East Coast to go to this thing called seminary. Now, I didn't know anything about this seminary. I didn't know anything about being a Christian. And when I got to this seminary, I realized this was a seminary that was very much interested in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second advent of Jesus And so I didn't know what else I was supposed to understand, and I got to understand this very, very well. It was a four-year course. I managed to squeeze four years into five years. (laughs) This was back in 1964. They were ancient days. In 1967, in the spring of 1967, at a chapel service, A professor at the seminary that I dearly loved, he was my favorite professor, stood up and he addressed the whole seminary population, and this is what he said. He said, today, the times of the Gentiles has come to an end. And I wasn't sure what that meant. He said, go read Luke chapter 21, verse 24. And the times of the Gentiles ending means that the end is about to take place. We are on a rapid conclusion to the second coming of Christ. Get ready. As a matter of fact, he said, many of you sitting here are not going to finish the course here. I still had two years to go. Many of you are not going to finish the course here because of what is about to take place. Now, I believe that. As a matter of fact, I believed it so much that it changed my whole future. I wasn't planning on going into pastoral ministry. I was planning on staying in the job career that I had and going to South America and be a plant manager for a multinational company. That was my plan. But he just changed all that because he said, we don't have any time left. And the company said, it's going to take another three years to get you ready to go. And I said, I don't have three years. No possible way do I have three years. And so I started pastoring this little church that met in a house in East Texas. Because of what was in my head, my life changed. And that's how we all live. What's in our head changes how we live. Now, nothing wrong with that, and I don't regret any of that, but a couple of uh, months ago, I picked up a little book. I, I wanted to do this for a long time, and most of you have Bibles that have red letters in it, you know, that Jesus taught. Well, they actually have books of just Jesus' words, and so I bought one of these books, just Jesus' words. And I thought, I've always wanted to read just Jesus' words. No commentary, no historical implication of what was going on when Jesus said this. I just want to read what Jesus said as it's recorded in the Gospels or in the Acts or in the Revelation. And so I, so I read through all of Jesus' words. I highly recommend it to you. It's great fun. You just read what Jesus wrote. Now, I know that he probably spoke in Aramaic or in Hebrew and I can't read either Aramaic, and my Hebrew is pretty bad too, but it was really all written down in Greek, and most of us can't read that either, so it's been translated into modern languages like English. So the words are not exactly Jesus' words, but they're as close as we can get. And as I read through all of these, I, I started to realize that there was one thing that just jumps out at you as you read just the words of Jesus, not about what's going on around him, just the words of Jesus. And that one thing is something called the kingdom of God. Jesus had an awful lot to say about the kingdom of God. Now, I got to tell you that after 10 years went by, after seminary, I pretty well put away the whole second coming of Jesus Christ. I thought, boy, somebody made a big mistake here. Somebody got this fouled up. Somebody misdirected me. Not that I regret being misdirected, but but this hasn't worked out. And so I've got to admit that I sort of put the kingdom of God stuff on the back burner. But after reading through Jesus's words, I thought, you know, Jesus had an awful lot to say about this thing called the kingdom of God. And he seemed to say that this kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, and you really can't distinguish anything between those two words, this kingdom of God and this kingdom of heaven seems to focus on what's going to take place on earth. This is not about going to heaven when we die. This is about something that's here on earth with a literal real king. Uh, We do a lot of arguing and debating about when these events are going to take place, who's going to do what, when and where. But let's just take a few moments this morning and I want to walk you through some of the things that Jesus had to say about the kingdom of God because there seem to be two aspects of this kingdom. Now you got an outline this morning. Hopefully it's in this little bulletin and you're going to need it. No pictures until we get to the end. So get this out as a multi-paged outline. And we're going to start in number one that you see right there, where it talks about what Jesus had to say about a kingdom. This is about his return and about what he had to say about a kingdom. You all got that? Take it out. Get the page out. Get it out. Get it out. Get out. You Ready? All right, I'll just put a couple of words, in. this is at the Last Supper, Luke chapter 22, verse 17. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. 28, 18. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Okay. Mark chapter 14, verse 25. Truly, Jesus' words, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 26, verse 64. Jesus said to him, But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. I don't think that happened yet. Mark chapter 13, verse 24, Jesus said, But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light. Verse 25, the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Verse 26, and then you will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. I don't think that happened yet. Mark chapter 13, verse 35. This is Jesus's words about the kingdom of God. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. Verse 36, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. Verse 37, and what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Jesus on the coming kingdom of God. Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. John says, Jesus said, him, said this to him in his vision. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Okay, now you don't have to be a, a scholar to figure out that Jesus believed he would return to earth and established what he called the kingdom of God. And uh, we love to debate all about that. We got that all figured out. We even can tell you when it's going to come. It's going to come after a great tribulation. We got names for it. Some people call it the millennial kingdom. It's going to last 2,000 years because it says that in the book of Revelation. We, we got all this stuff all figured out. Let, let me just suffice it to say this. Are we all happy and contented with this? that there is a kingdom coming in which Jesus will return and somehow rule and reign, and it seems to be an earthly kingdom. Jesus said that. I am coming again. I don't know when. I don't know anything about this any more than Jesus said it will happen. Okay, So we love to argue about all these things. But there is another aspect of the kingdom of God, because as you read through the words of Jesus, he had something else to say about the kingdom of God. So if you got your little folder, go to number two, because Jesus made these statements about the kingdom of God. You ready? Mark chapter nine, verse one. He said to them, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death, until they see the kingdom of God, after it has come with power. Wait a minute. He said to his disciples, some of you won't die until the kingdom of God comes. Oh, so the kingdom of God must have already come? Or did somebody get mixed up here? Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he said to them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Verse 21, nor will they say, look, here it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Translate the word, King James Version says it is within you. The Amplified Version says it's in your hearts or it's surrounding you. The Greek says it is either inside or within. But that's not the same as the kingdom of God when Jesus said, you'll see me coming back with power and glory. This is something different, kingdom of God, isn't it? John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus said this, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. So Jesus seemed to understand that there were two aspects to his kingdom. One of them was a literal coming back to earth in which he would somehow rule on this earth. That is a coming kingdom of God that Jesus spoke of. The other has to do with some other kind of kingdom, some other aspect of this kingdom that appears to be, as some people have called it, a kingdom now. Now here's what we like to debate. See, which one of these is more important Is it more important for us to understand the kingdom to come when Jesus returns to earth? Or is it more important to understand the kingdom now that Jesus spoke of? And we can have great debates because we love to have theological debates. Now, if you look at number three in your little outline, there are some descriptions of this coming kingdom. And we're not going to go over these today Suffice it to say that you can read them at home, but almost all of these describe something that we would call, well, a kingdom that exists now. So can we be satisfied and can we all agree that Jesus himself made it rather clear, even though it's a little foggy in our mind, there are kind of two kingdoms. One, he returns to earth and establishes an earthly kingdom. Two... There is a kingdom of God now. All right, that brings me to what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the qualifications to get into the kingdom. Now, not everybody who is born on the earth is qualified to enter the kingdom. I don't care which kingdom you want to talk about. We just have had a real life experience of this. You all have. We have these migrants moving through the, through the countries and trying to go into Western Europe, Canada, the U.S. or wherever. And you've heard this being said over and over again. Not all migrants qualify to be accepted into some of these other countries. What do you mean? Can't we just all go? No. These countries all have qualifications for their kingdoms. Agreed? For instance, they say, well, if you're just looking to make more money, you don't qualify to come into our kingdom. You have to be persecuted. You have to be in a situation where to go home, it would mean your death. You have to be in a kind of a situation where there's religious persecution or some other kind of persecution. Not everybody automatically qualifies for the kingdom. Now, if you read the words of Jesus he has the same thing to say about the kingdom of God. Whether it's the kingdom of God form now or the kingdom of God to come here on earth at some later time, there are qualifications for the kingdom. Now, this is not going to sit well with a lot of you. Okay? So I've listed for you in this little folder. I think it's on number four. What Jesus said were the qualifications for the kingdom. These are not going to be what you expect. You ready for this? Here's the first qualification for the kingdom. Your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Uh, We never talk about that, do we? Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You want to think about that for a minute? These Pharisees were the most religious people on earth. These Pharisees had all the right answers. These Pharisees knew what the book taught. These Pharisees could just spout it off to you. And Jesus said, no one gets into my kingdom unless their righteousness exceeds the Pharisees. That's a little hard to take. I don't know what you want to do with that. If you go to seminary, you, you get this curse on you. Any seminary. Because you come out thinking you know everything. And you don't. One of the most deeply spiritual moments in my life was after we hired a youth pastor who was a Vietnam War vet. He was a little bit, me. He's a great youth pastor, though. And in a group meeting one time, people were asking questions, and somebody asked me a question, a theological question, and I realized I didn't know the answer. So I said to the group, you know, I don't really know the answer to that. And this guy came up to me afterwards, and he put his arm around me, and he said, oh, man. He said, Ron, he said, that, how's how's the best thing I ever heard a pastor say? I said, what was that? Did I teach some wonderful new truth here? No. You said you didn't know. Hmm. Jesus said, if you think the Pharisees have got this all figured out, you're wrong. They're not getting into the kingdom. Only those whose righteousness exceeds the Pharisees. Here's the second one, and they're not going to get any better, by the way. (laughs) Jesus said, those who first seek the kingdom, they're the only ones who are getting into the kingdom. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Luke chapter 12, verse 31. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. So you might as well forget about the stuff of the earth. You might as well forget about a big, big salary, because Jesus didn't care. You might as well forget about all those illusions of being successful and popular because it's not really important at all. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, no, this is for those who seek first the kingdom. They're the only ones getting into the kingdom. I I pastored a church in New Mexico for a number of years and just so happened out of a fluky, crazy thing that there were at least four millionaires that were coming to the church. There was some rather wealthy group there. And I used to meet with these guys (laughs) because I thought, that's really neat. And I remember one of them, his name was Jim. He was a huge real estate developer in in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He was kind of a mentor to a lot of people. Ron, he had a great jail ministry too. And, And he sat me down one day and he said, you know, he said, I've learned something. I said, what's that? And he said, nobody can ever get to the top, to the very top of their career and still be fully committed to Jesus Christ. I said, well, I I don't believe that. But I've had a lifetime to think about it now. Jesus said, those who seek first the kingdom will find the kingdom we got a lot of other stuff we seek. Here's the third one. Jesus said, those who do the Father's will, they get into the kingdom. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What does that mean? The people who get into the kingdom are those who do what God wills. What is it that God wills for your life or for my life? I don't, I don't know what it is for God's will for your life. I don't, you don't know what it is for my life. I remember after coming to faith in Christ, had two kids, the only grandkids and families. And I happened to be in a particular place going through something with my business for my work. And an old friend's dad happened to live in that town where I was, and I went over to visit. I had a little time with his father, and the father said to me, uh, you know, I think maybe you should go to graduate school in the Bible. And I said, "Let me go to graduate school? I don't even know what a graduate school in the Bible is. He said, yeah, I know, but you've, you've got this relationship with God now. He said, you need to find out where you should go to school. I don't know, a bizarre idea. I'm on my way of success. I can't go to school in the Bible. i never heard of a thing. I came home and I said to my wife, you'll never guess what Mr. Morgan said to me. And I told her. And she said, oh my goodness. I had a phone conversation today with a very dear friend. And she said to me, I think Ron should go on to school in the Bible. And we looked at each other and we said, ooh. (laughs) And we told our parents, and our parents said, no way. Where would you go to school? I don't know. But I asked, and everybody seemed to recommend this one that was 2,000 miles away in Texas. My parents, Barbara's parents said, don't do that. We got schools here you could go to. Don't take our grandchildren. But we said, you know what? If this is God's will, this is what we have to do. I don't know what the will of God is for you. If you have any questions about what the will of God is, Jesus did that too. Luke chapter 10, verse 27, this is what Jesus said when asked about the will of God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Nobody is qualified for the kingdom of God unless they do the will of God. that's not the usual procedure here. Here's another one, number four. The poor in spirit are qualified for the kingdom. Matthew chapter 5 verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Billy Graham said, if you're poor in spirit, you're humble. I don't know what that means. It has to do with a disposition of submission to God, a disposition that God is good. I run into a a convert to Christianity from Islam a number of years ago in Budapest when we lived there. His name is Murad. He was a medical doctor, came to know Christ with no Christians around him, found a Bible and read it. This is what he kept saying. He he was teaching people about Christ out in the woods. He had a school in the woods. He knew that if he ever said anything in the place where he lived, now I'm not going to tell you where he lived, if he ever said anything in the place where he lived, it would mean his death. And he really impressed me because all the time he kept saying this. You know, God is so good. You know, God is so good. And I thought, oh, it's not good for you, buddy. Somebody's going to kill you someday. And it was like, God is so good. Because the poor in spirit are qualified for the kingdom of heaven. Here's number five. You've got to become like a child to go to the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18, 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's the word pation. It's a, it's a young child, not a teenager, not a baby. Somewhere in between there. What is it about a child that Jesus would say, you've got to be like a child, or you'll never be qualified for the kingdom? What is it about a child? Are there Is it because they are accepting? Is it because they're sweet and lovable and nice? Or is it because they believe? I wonder how many teenagers went to see Santa Claus this year? None. How many little babies, one-year-olds, take me to see Santa? None. Now that in-between group. The ones who believe. And Jesus said, You got to be qualified for the kingdom. You got to be like a child. Number six, you need a spiritual birth. Oh, finally we found one we're familiar with. John 3:3, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Truly, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter. The kingdom of God. That sounds pretty mystical to me. Somehow there is a spiritual response to God that we need to find. And we can't get into the kingdom of God without that spiritual new birth. That's why the Apostle Paul tried to explain it to us in Romans 8 and 9. You are not of the flesh, but in the spirit. If in the fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Verse 14 of chapter 8, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We all need a new spiritual birth to get into the kingdom. I was in my mid-20s. I was a rebel, fighting as hard as I could to keep God out of my life. I didn't like it that my wife was so in love with Jesus. Didn't like it at all. And finally, one Sunday, she dragged me to church. I went. And I sat in a Sunday school class. They were teaching John. It was without a doubt the worst Sunday school class I've ever been in my whole life. I was bored, but by then, I had heard some things about spiritual birth. I sat there listening to what this man was saying and it just popped into my head. If you will do the will of God, then you'll know the truth. And I bowed my head. I said, I give up. I give up. I don't know what it means. It doesn't matter. I'll take it. I can't explain to you what happened to my life. You can ask my wife. I walked out of that Sunday school class, a totally new person. I had friends who told me it'll never stick. Well, you know, I'm getting close to 80. I think I'm kind of qualified now. (laughs) One last one, and there's more than these, by the way. Here's number seven. We don't like this one at all. Two of the Beatitudes, by the way, state that the kingdom of God is for the poor in spirit and for this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What do you want to do with that one? How do you get into the kingdom of heaven? You endure the struggles. Do we realize that life is filled with struggle? It isn't a bed of roses, but the kingdom of God is for those who do right in the struggles of life. Now, I don't know what you want to do with all these, but if you put them all together, it seems to be that we have some understanding about the kingdom of God now and the kingdom of God to come and who qualifies to be in that kingdom. You don't get in the kingdom because you know everything. You don't get in the kingdom unless you want the kingdom. You don't get in the kingdom without humility, You don't get into the kingdom without a spiritual, mystical birth. You don't get into the kingdom without living the struggles. You don't get into the kingdom without a childlike belief. There are some things missing there. What about joining the church? Oh, Jesus didn't talk about that. What about tithing? Oh, no, Jesus didn't talk about that. Amazing list, isn't it? The kingdom of God as Jesus saw it. Now, here's what I really want to share with you today. Just take a couple minutes. We'll have a few little pictures, too. What would happen to us if we lived this? If we lived the qualifications for the kingdom of God right now? Suppose we started all living this. You know, we reveal who we are by what we do. Put that first one up. Americans have a really hard time in Europe. And you immediately identify yourself in Europe when you pick up a fork and eat a steak. Because if you eat it with your right hand, everybody knows you're an American. Europeans don't eat steak with their right hand. You stab it with the left and you put it in your mouth. My mother would have beaten me for that. Come to think of it, she did. you're immediately identified by the way you eat your food. You want to put the next one up? This is a guy calling a waiter. If you go to a restaurant in Europe, the waiter knows immediately that you're an American. Because first of all, all your food is over in 30 minutes. You're done. And when you're done, you want your bill. I learned how to ask for the bill in Hungarian. he said it next. Put your hand up. Fizete ne a neck. Fizete And the guy would look down and say, American. Because the Europeans sit there for hours and visit. Only Americans are in a hurry to eat their food, pay their bill, and get out of here. I deed right away. Want to put the next one up? This is a tram. This is how you travel around in Europe. I remember the first time I got on a tram. I didn't know how to do this, so I asked some people, how do you do this? They had to buy a book of tickets. Okay, good, I bought a book of tickets. So I got a book that had 20 tickets in it, little paper tickets. And I get on a the tram. There's a guy driving a tram. He did not even look at you when you get on a tram. <laughs> what do I do with my ticket? I didn't know a place to put my ticket. He didn't take my ticket. What am I supposed to do with my ticket? <laughs> Only Americans are worried about their ticket. These trams were mobbed with people. I don't know what to do with the ticket. Nobody cares if you have a ticket or not. Apparently, you just get on a tram and just go wherever you want to go. Unless all of a sudden the tram stops and some guys put armbands on and they go through the car to see if you had your ticket punched. I don't know. Where do you punch your ticket? <laughs> on every tram, there's a little box, tiny little box. You couldn't even find the thing. Who would know it was even there? Tourists don't know. They get caught all the time. The locals all know you have to punch your ticket. And if you don't punch your ticket, everybody knows you're not from around here. You want to put the next one up? Flowers. In Europe, everybody's flies flowers. You don't go visit someone and not take flowers. You don't take them candy. You take them flowers. There are flower shops like this all over Budapest, all over Europe. Stop and buy flowers. I remember buying flowers the first time. Took them to somebody, went someplace for dinner, and we took them flowers. Nate afterwards said, you know, some flowers are for the grave. <laughs> and some flowers are for guests. Oh, oh. I got the wrong ones. Yeah, right <laughs> I did right away, marked. Everybody knows who you are. What's the next one? Eating, walking down the street. Did you ever do this? Did you ever get a hamburger and a Coke, walk down the street eating a hamburger Coke? Only Americans do that. You don't, you don't walk down, in Japan, you don't walk down the street eating a hamburger and drinking a Coke. American. Immediately identify. It's real easy. Okay, what's next? Oh, that's the church I pastored in Honolulu. First Chinese Church of Christ. Nobody in this church was ever on time, except me. Everybody in this church was Chinese, except me. When they made announcements, they used to say, now we're going to meet together for this dinner on pake time. And I didn't know what pocket time was. was white man time. In other words, pastor, your time. So if it's a 6 o'clock, you'll be here at 6, okay? And we're all going to come at pocket time, not Hawaiian time. Hawaiian time will be there at 8.30. <laughs> Immediately, you're marked. You're early or you're on time. Don't work. Get another one? <clears throat> if you go to the Middle East, do not sit like this in front of someone else. If you show the sole of your foot to an Arab or any Muslim, They are deeply offended. And nobody but a dumb American would do that. We got identification hanging all over us. And everybody knows who and what we are. And it's not just Americans. You want a few more? We'll try this one. You know what these people are? What are these people? Orthodox Jews. How would you know that? Because they're the only people that look like that. I grew up in Philadelphia. I used to see them all the time. I was an Orthodox Jew. You want to try another one? Who are these people? Muslims. Devout, committed Muslims. How do you know that? They have a beard. Why, why does a man have a beard in Islam? It's a good question, by the way. Muhammad had a beard. So some people think that it's the thing to have a beard because Muhammad had a beard. Nothing in the Quran about having a beard. But if you see a person like this, they're ID'd, right? Want to try another one? Oh, holy man. What does this mean? person's a Catholic priest, or maybe not. Maybe an Episcopal priest. Or something. I used to think I, maybe I should get one of these. Might get more attention this way, you know. Isn't it amazing how we get identified? Want to try one more? What are these people? They're Amish or they're Mennonites. Mennonites may be a little bit less, more identifiable than the Amish, but clearly identifiable by their dress. And then just one more, the last one. Who are these people? Oh. Every now and then you see this in a restaurant, don't you? Young couple holds hands before the meal. Kind of want to go over and say, you know, brother and sister. How would you know that? Well, because they did something that most people don't do. Okay, all of this. It's now 2016. Maybe this is the year of Christ's return. I don't know. And you don't know. But maybe it is. Maybe the kingdom of heaven will start its beginning this year. I don't know. Could be. I do know that the kingdom of God now is here among us and that we are kingdom people. And we should be identifying ourselves as such. No matter how you feel, no matter what kind of fears you have, no matter what your struggles might be, we're marked. This is what identifies us as the people of God. Suppose somebody ran into you this week and you were behaving like this and they've looked at you behaving like this and they have a question. This is a question. Do you got this one? Nope, okay, you gave up on me. There it is. Yeah, suppose somebody, because of your behavior, said to you, where in the world are you from? And you know what you get to answer? I'm from the kingdom of God. And Thank you for asking. Can I talk to you about that? I don't know what God has ahead for any of us this year. But I invite us all to be the kingdom of God people. Live the life that qualifies us for God's kingdom now. It would change us. And we'd be marked. Let's pray. Father in heaven. We look at a new year and easy to be either discouraged or excited. Help us to understand that we're called to be a people that are so unique on this planet. Because we live in a kingdom that is yours. We are different. We are marked. May we wear the mark and the ID with joy and may the mark that IDs us as yours may it be used this year to win the hearts and the minds and the souls of others we long for others to find the perfect peace the great shalom of the living God who gave us his son whose name was Jesus encourage us and bless us
1: in his name
0: Amen.